Welcome back to another episode of Red Tinted Glasses. And what an episode we have for you today, Callum. Not only do we have a win to speak about for the first time in what feels like forever, Boxing Day, um, for those of you that want to be factually correct, but we will also be reacting to the news that Johnny Hayes, geriatric Johnny, as Callum called him in our last episode, has signed a new contract. We will have talk on season tickets as the information around season ticket prices have been released and of course the luxury column of us recording very last minute Tuesday evening as it is for release to you on Wednesday morning transfer talk as the latest bids seem to be sniffing around Lewis Ferguson Calvin and Calvin Ramsey or is it agent talk well we will look into them Certainly, plenty to talk about. Um, I could almost have a full podcast worth without the actual football that we've got to discuss, but it'll be nice talking about a win. Uh, first of all, Glenn, though, new setting for you. We can't seem to go week to week without us both being in our usual place right now. Yeah, I know. Um, recording this, if you want to call them the in-laws, then um, that's where it is. So if there is some guitar playing or squeaky floorboards in the background when I'm speaking then uh, apologies for that but I'll endeavour to keep my mic on mute when Callum is speaking and remember to take it off mute when it's my turn to speak but Callum what a relief we finally since Boxing Day got a win to talk about and maybe fittingly the, that win was recorded on the 19th of March 1903 deserved win I think it's fair to say I think so, yeah. Um, certain managers' post-match uh, comments would suggest otherwise, but we'll, I'm sure we'll come to them somewhat mm. baffling. But, um, you know, obviously we find ourselves a goal down, but we reacted very, very well and we got the win. I was somewhat confident going into the game, not really certain why. I think it's just the pre-match excitement that comes around every now and then. But I feel like we could be starting to get on to something. And I'm really hesitant in saying that, but I feel good. Yeah, I, I know there'll be a few of you out there disappointed that uh, Michael Monin's not on to defend a dreadful Hibs performance. Um, I feel I can say that when he's not on the show, um, but I'm sure he's tuning in anyway. But, uh, you know, as we said, we've got so much to speak about that we've not even going to factor in our Dundee preview. We're going to save that for next week. Um, and obviously keep tuned because later on in the week, we do have an interview with former Aberdeen defender Lee Mayer coming out to cover you. Um, across the international break and stay tuned to our Twitter page at RTG underscore podcast as on Saturday we release our player of the year award um, so stay tuned to that but Callum as you said you know confidence before the game was it just down to the fact that we were we were playing Hibs but you know the there was maybe some signs of performances coming under under Jim Goodwin. Tynecastle aside, as he's you know quite rightly said himself, but maybe this was the first signs of things finally starting to click for Jim Goodwin and Aberdeen. I think so. I mean, for the most part, we looked a lot better defensively, a lot more organised. Jim Goodwin's always had plenty of time um, between well the Hibs game and the previous game mm. uh, to work on things on the training ground. I felt that there was sort of. I don't know, I saw a confidence building, certainly in myself, uh, anyway, that we could sort of start to get there. We have seen improvement um, since Goodwin has come in, just didn't get that win uh, earlier on, but very happy to come away with it. I think ideal Hibs is a pretty ideal game. <laughs> if you could handpick one at home, maybe. I mean, it's harsh. They'd probably be slightly better than us this season, but not by that much. And no. certainly when we're at, backed up by a good crowd at home as well, um, I just had a sort of a good feeling about it, which I've not had for a lot of this season, and I've I've still got it as well. Um, so we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, and I suppose when you know both teams were coming into this game with just one win between themselves uh, in their last ten games, I don't really know if there was uh, much. To you know, we certainly in our preview for the game we didn't exactly talk it up to be a. a a game that would can you know have four goals in it, but it, it certainly livened up and probably exceeded expectations of, of most. And I think you know most Aberdeen fans will have been buoyed by the news that Jim Goodwin provided before the match and his pre-match. 
press conference announcing that both Andy Considine and Marley Watkins would be in the squad. But I suppose when the team news then came out, um, you're sitting in your uh, in the pubs pre-match or making your way to the ground and you see Andy Constein and Marley Watkins then fit enough for the bench. I finally felt a bit of confidence that we had some suitable reinforcements to come off the bench. And obviously, uh, as we'll discuss later on in the show, it, it proved to be the case. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that, that, that is a good point. That probably is the, the mark, the point where I went, oh, we could be in, in for something this weekend when that news... Uh, uh, did break about Marley Watkins and Andy Constein. Uh, certainly excited to get the latter back involved. Feels feel, felt so wrong him not being involved for such a long time yeah. after he's part of the furniture essentially. But it just, I say, strengthened the squad, gave further options. Obviously, saw the um, impact Marley Watkins came on and had. Um, it just bolsters things a little bit and gives a little mm. bit more strength and depth too. And um, and well, we reaped the rewards, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we actually, you know, started the game reasonably well coming out, coming out the blocks and testing what, you know, Hibs have been renowned for having dodgy keepers. Um, Yves McAlambie, probably one of the biggest standouts in terms of the calamities that he um, endured at Pataudry. But their latest goalkeeper to grace Pataudry and Dabrowski was extremely uh, dodgy. I don't know if there's an injury, which means he can't, take um, any goal kicks but his, his distribution was poor and he looked very nervous and and Connor McLennan who I don't know probably had a, a usual Connor McLennan performance highs lows and uh, all of this follows in between had the best chance of that first half with it with a header that Dubrovsky does save well but that aside from an Aberdeen point of view we kind of died down after that in the first half a little bit. Um, I'm disappointed you've not said use my calamity, but I'll forgive you for that one. I was trying to work it and give me a chance on my links. <laughs> yeah, you're learning. You're learning. Uh, no, that that was the sort of the one chance of note. Um, I don't. I don't think McLean could have done much more. Really, I think no. that's forced a very good save, probably uh, by Dubrovsky, um, who yeah, his kicking was very very suspect. One went out for a goal kick no a corner at, at one point I seem to remember and um, that was after Joe Lewis had, had a dodgy touch prior it was just like they were almost trying to do outdo themselves there but <laughs> other than that for McLennan you're right there wasn't too much um, for us in that first half I mean you can say the same about Hibs really um, just well fortunately for them we decided to still somehow give them a goal despite the fact we you know went on to win the game we have to just keep a little bit of normality in there yeah, and that is an excellent link from you, Callum, because it was like Aberdeen of basically the season, really. Start games well and then give the opposition the lead with their first attempt on goal. Although it wasn't even them that registered the attempt on goal, it was Calvin Ramsey. And once again, Callum, it is a goal that, from an Aberdeen point of view, is a terrible goal to concede. There is just errors all over the shop um, you know Chris Cadden it's a, it's a brilliant ball it's into that kind of danger area and I know both me and you were saying before we recorded this episode we both felt Joe Lewis was at fault but having watched you know sports scene and the highlights back again Johnny Hayes man I mean how much time do you want to give Chris Cadden to deliver that ball you know we're going to come on to his contract extension in, in a second but if he's going to be playing left back, you know, or a starting left back next season, we cannot be gifting wingers that much space. You know, we'd give give Chris Cadden a good 10 yards to whip that ball in. You know, at one point, you know, he's shielding his eyes from the sun, but just get out there and, and you know, maybe drive him down to the byline, make it harder for him. But, you know, once the ball comes into the box, then then you've got to deal with it. Were you a bit disappointed in the way Johnny Hayes defended that cross? Certainly, I think he could have done more. Um, a lot of the time you do just want players to get out there and stop the cross before it gets into the box, especially with the way we've been defending crosses uh, in the into the box so far this season, especially when they do make it towards that back post. There's almost a sense of inevitability that something's mm-hmm. going to go wrong. Um, which it did. I still do think Joel Lewis maybe should get out there and claim it um, at some point, but it is a fantastic ball from uh, Chris Cadden 
I mean, Calvin Ramsey, great finish for him, to be fair. I think he was just asked to try and open his boot maybe a little bit more. Um, but he's put into a tough spot, I suppose. There's probably two more senior players that could have prevented that even getting to him at the, at the time. But um, just another frustrating one. And it's just it's just one of those goals, again, you see from Aberdeen that it's not just one mistake. There's just three, four in there that just mm-hmm. are our downfall. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it, it should have given Hibs a, a platform um, in the game. But as Michael said to us in our, in our group chat, they basically stopped playing after they took the lead. And I think, you know, that's fair to say, but, you know, for Joe Lewis, who's probably been seeing the stats that Pai and Bovril have been tweeting out, you know, about his save percentage, that about sums up why his save percentage is where it is. You know, Hibs only registered two shots on target the whole game, and yet he still managed to concede a goal through, I say through no fault of his own, given the quality of the finish from Calvin, but yeah, still, you know, certainly from where I was at Pataudry, I did feel that Joe could have maybe come for that ball. Um, but on Calvin Ramsey, I think it's his right foot he finishes it with. And is that the wrong foot? Should he have gone the left foot and, and put that behind for a corner instead? You know, he's obviously, you know, got the presence of the Hibs attacker behind him and it's just that maybe indecision that's caught him out slightly. Yeah, I think it is probably the question of decision-making. I like how you keep calling it a finish, uh, as if he's just stormed in there. A striker it's, a cr- it's a cracking finish. I'm pretty sure it goes through Joel Lewis's legs. I mean, any striker would be proud of that. Certainly. Um, I think it is. it does. You, you said decision there. I think it does come down to that. Um, it's important to remember he is, you know, he is young and decision-making will improve with the more experience that he gets. And um, he should do better, but I'm not going to go and you know go and vilify him, especially since it didn't prove to be a costly one. Uh, yeah. learn from, I like the way the players responded as well um, to that. They also they did sort of make sure he was okay and um, clearly try and get his head back into the game. And I, and I think you know that's a, that's an excellent point because it wasn't just the players that responded well. Calvin Ramsey re- responded well as well. You know he got his head down. He had a couple of shaky moments. Um, maybe for the f- first five ten minutes after. We went one 0 down. I think there was a, you know, a, maybe a bit of a late tackle he made in midfield, if I remember rightly. Um, but then, you know, he grew into the game, and you know, his certainly his attacking side, which we've seen do very well. And obviously, you know, uh, the rumours from Scott Burns were that Sassuolo were there, um, you know, keeping an eye over him. So I'm sure his agent will have had him, you know, had in one ear saying, "Look, there's people here watching you." So maybe that might have affected his performance as well there's there's no doubt his head will have been turned by the by the interest and who knows where um calvin will be this time next season maybe back on loan after going somewhere else but you know on johnny hayes what was your reaction well i know what your first reaction was when he signed that contract why couldn't they wait till before we recorded the, the episode so I'm interested to see who announces a new contract on Tuesday night or first thing tomorrow morning. But yeah, Callum, what was your first reaction to the news about Johnny Hayes? Or geriatric Johnny, as I'll refer to you. It was tongue-in-cheek. I'm relatively pleased just to see him stay around the place from a nostalgic point of view anyway. Um, I hope he's not our starting left-back going into next season. I'm sure that is something... Uh, that will be addressed, whether that's in terms of McKenzie's fitnesses or bringing fitness or bringing someone else in. But I certainly do think he's a good person to have around the place and some good experience as well that he can help pass on. And there's no questioning. Sometimes maybe you can question his ability at times, uh, but his effort is almost unmatched every single week, I suppose. Um, and I, I think for another year at his age, it's probably sensible just to keep some continuity going into next season, especially given we have no idea how many of this lot are going to be sticking around. No, that's that's an excellent point. I think, Callum, the fact that he's also getting involved with the Youth Academy as well. You know, we've seen the success in the Algarve Cup just, just recently this weekend that Barry Robson's had with the under-17s. You know, they got draws with Porto and Benfica as well. You know, big European names and, you know, Aberdeen are holding their own in, in, in Europe it, on that stage so you know big shout out to Barry Robson and, and his young team as well Stuart Duff obviously being in charge I think um, one of the young brothers they've also got involvement so if it comes to the time when Johnny Hayes retires it's another former player getting involved in the youth academy that's great to see mm. 
on a playing side going forward next season, oh, obviously we've, we've just question marked around his defence. I know there's maybe a lot of you that tune in do have question marks maybe around his pace. Is he still there? I, I obviously, I think, I don't know about you, Callum, but I'm maybe my jury's still a little bit out on Jack McKenzie. Mm. He's certainly a good defender, but he's not as obviously maybe good as going forward when you compare him to what Calvin Ramsey is or Johnny Hayes as well, what he can provide in terms of getting us up that pitch quickly. So it'll be interesting to see who becomes the starting left back next season. I think so too. But uh, yeah, in terms of um, passing his experience as well to the uh, youth players as well, that sort of experience he's had, um, not just here, but obviously, you know, he played at Celtic, he won things there, he won the League Cup here too. Not a lot of far forward players are able to give that sort of experience on to the youngsters. So that that's obviously very beneficial too. But just in terms of continuity and having his experience, you know, someone who's used to being around the place uh, next season, I think could really, really benefit us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And benefiting is what Aberdeen did. Benefiting from a penalty decision in the first half, a penalty that in real time, I felt was softer. Wasn't really sure what it's from because it has happened so quickly. And from my angle in the red shed, I was to the left of the, the goal as you look at it. I couldn't really see it hitting um, Rocky Bashiri's arm. Um, but referee Alan Muir in no doubt that it was handball immediately pointing to the spot and gifting Aberdeen a, a way back into, into the game. And I suppose, <clears throat> you know, Connor Barron there just getting his head down, just getting a shot on, on goal. I was going to say on target, but I think it was going miles wide. Um, but thankfully, Rocky decided to deflect it onto his hand via his knee. Um, so I think there is a bit of doubt whether that should have counted uh, as a penalty. But... Lewis Ferguson obviously missing his last penalty at Tynecastle, his first miss from the spot in an Aberdeen shirt, making no mistake this weekend, slotting the penalty straight down the middle and also straight through Dubrovsky's legs, maybe rather fortunately for Lewis, but getting back on level terms and Aberdeen having a platform to build. And we, unlike Hibbs, actually used that. Certainly. I, I think, yeah, it's probably fortunate circumstances that the penalty came in. Um, it, it, it does hit his hand I mean I know there is controversy over with it flicking up off another part of the body and also I think it came took a deflection before it even got to him um, yeah. as well and once again yeah Ferguson probably pretty lucky to find the back of the net but I do really like the confidence from Barron okay yeah, as we said it's, it was going wide um, but he was taking it on in that situation and it's something we mm-hmm. saw not only I suppose throughout this game but since he's come into the starting uh, 11 he's not scared to you know take the ball in a tight space and try and make something happen uh, he's very positive and not, not only technically very good but um, he likes the physical side too but I, I really do like that from him and ultimately that's what got us the penalty so thank you very much Conor Barrett and obviously another man of the match performance yeah, I, I suppose we should we should speak about Connor Barron. Now's now's a good time, better than better than any, and not just a man of the match performance. As I said, the luxury of our last minute recordings on a Tuesday has seen Connor Barron also named in the SPFL team of the week, and I don't think many can argue that he doesn't deserve his place in there. He just seems calm to be going from strength to strength in this team. You know sitting in that kind of holding midfield role and almost becoming the linchpin of the midfield um, getting all the football cliches in here right now. Um, but the way he, you know, here's another one for you, takes the game by the scruff of the neck and, you know, drives Aberdeen forward, has that vision to move the ball from one wing to the other, sets our plays, plays up and moves the team up the pitch. It, it's really exciting and, you know, the, the quality is is there to see. Oh yeah, 100%. And not on top of all that, he physically looks really ready for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he only spent a short amount of time at Kelty Hearts, but I think clearly benefited from, um, you know, playing against and alongside uh, fully grown men there too. 
Um, and also un- included in this, got another 21s now for the first time. So, you know, the mm-hmm. Calwell players that are involved in that will only benefit him too. It just seems to be, I said, it's just strength to strength for him. Uh, and it's just, it is great to see. And long, hopefully long may it continue, ideally, in an Aberdeen shirt. Um, but it's just, it's great to see, especially for a local lad as well. Yeah, it was good to see the Redshed singing one Connor Barron or Connor Barron, he's one of our own, you know, get, giving him a little bit of recognition, I'm sure. Um, not only did he enjoy that, I'm sure his um, dad will have um, thoroughly in, enjoyed that song uh, as well. And like you said, obviously we're wishing him and Calvin and Lewis Ferguson, of course, all the way on international duty with, with Scotland, I think. Um, so hope they all do well and obviously get minutes and come back um, fit and healthy for the, the run-in um, before the split, uh, which is, of course, at Dundee. Uh, resumes again at Dundee, I should say. But, Callum, again, the halftime whistle comes, it's 1-1. It kind of felt like classic Aberdeen season, you know, probably the better of the two sides, but somehow not winning the game. And, yeah, it's, it's just story of our season so far. Basically, I have no idea where Sean Mulroney's comments came from that they were in control. Um, yeah, I don't. That was that was absolutely baffling. It was a fairly even tie. I think at halftime we mentioned it. Neither team even deserves to have it as one one. It probably deserved to be nil nil at that point. <laughs> that, yeah. That's how it sort of felt uh, to me and sort of the people around me at Pataudry as well. Um, it, yeah, it was sort of it was typical, but at the same time, the way we reacted to the going of the goal down, uh, getting the equaliser, and then how we pushed on further on from that after half time, um, it's certainly very very encouraging. Uh, I think pro- credit to Jim Goodwin too. Conor Barron said he just said keep doing the same things, be confident on the ball and things, and well, we did exactly that and went on to win the game. Yeah, we did um, do exactly that, and we did you know, look the part in the second half. And if you too want to look the part when you take to the golf course this summer, check out in the description below the link to Druid's Golf. Druid's Golf have their new season range coming out this Friday at 9am and sign up to the link in the description to get exclusive access to their 2022 season range, including polo shirts from just 4 99 Mid layers from $9.99 and rain jackets from $49.99. High quality at a affordable pricing. Excellent golfware as modelled by myself on this episode. And it's with no benefit to the podcast today. There's your fucking plug. <laughs> yeah, no, I've no benefit to the podcast today, but uh, good for you, Glenn, getting that in there. I'm really impressed you managed to shoehorn that one in. Good to speak. Yeah. Yeah, but it, the, the commission earned from any order is has actually been reinvested into the Player of the Year trophy that we will be presenting the uh, winning player from our Player of the Year poll um, at Cormac Park. So as we said uh, at the beginning of the show, look out um, for that um, awards coming out on our Twitter page uh, at the weekend. But Calm, as you said, you know Aberdeen coming out, looking the part in the second half, and for a time, it was kind of all huff, no puff. Mm. But Ryan Porteous, you can never keep that man out of the headlines. He celebrated wildly when Bevis Mugabe got himself sent off last weekend. Well, the Pataudry crowd were doing the exact same when he himself got sent off for what is probably the most ridiculous red card you will see this season. Mm defended by some of the most ridiculous statements from Sean Maloney this season. Certainly, and probably the most ridiculous appeal you'll see this season. Um, it, was, it was just absolute, it was chaos. And he goes in to try and win the ball, apparently, before the ball's even there to be won. It's in mid-air at Ross McGorry's head height. Um, <laughs> you can see that sort of thing coming from a mile off, because for about 10 minutes prior to that, he'd started getting chirpy, uh, with the, mm-hmm. with Vicente Bersawin at one point and uh, with the linesman as well, the referee. When you see those things happening, you just know it's a ticking time bomb. Something's going to come. Ryan Portis is going to do something utterly mental. And uh, he, he was crowned king clown for the day. It was no idea what he was trying to do. I don't know how anyone can have any complaints about it, but thank you, Ryan Portis, for being a fucking idiot, basically. Cheers. Sorry about the language. 
<laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Um, Robert Glassman, who's standing in front of me, called a red card in that game in the first half because there was a few niggly tackles flying in. And I suppose if anyone was going to be at the centre of a red card controversy, it had to be Ryan Porteous. But to be honest, from the red shed, I actually had no idea what was going on. It wasn't until I got home and I saw the incident back and I just thought, what are you doing, mate? Like, I, I mean, I don't know what sort of angle you'll have got that mm. from the South Stand. Did you... Were you fully expecting Alan Muir to award us our, our second penalty when when you saw that happening in in real time? Oh, I had a great view. It was just it was there was even before that it was absolute chaos in there. Great from David Bates to get up there, win the header, unlucky not to score in the first place. Um, yeah, I suppose we're not even giving him any credit for what was an excellent header and, and unluckily denied by the crossbar. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it's just a few inches lower. It probably kisses the bottom of the bar and finds itself in the back of the net, and then. Well, I seemed to sort of all happen in slow motion in my head. I was just standing watching there going, this is absolute mayhem. And by the time the ball does is at McCrory's feet, if Portis made the challenge then, then you could argue attempt to play the ball. But he's following him before McCrory's anywhere near it. And the fact he's six yards out as well just makes it even worse because likelihood is that false McCrory, unless he hits it straight at the goalkeeper, then it's probably going at the back of the net. Keeper has no time to react. Mm. It was just, oh, just baffling. I don't know how he can have any complaints. Then he spent ages whinging about it as well. The Hibs players try to dig up the penalty spot as well, whilst there's all the commotion. Yeah, Connor Barron making sure Joe Newell couldn't scuff it up by shoving him out of the way, and then Christian Ramirez getting the last laugh by waving Ryan Porteous down the tunnel as well. His shithousery apparently knows no bounds as well. Oh yeah, proper showtime Christian Ramirez. It's like out of an American reality TV show. Loves it, loves it, and I love him for it. Yeah, um, another player, actually, we need to come on to um, as the game goes on. But as always, you know, when a, when a player gets an opportunity with a penalty for a second time um, in the match, it's whether he'll go the same way or send the keeper the wrong way. And he does send Dubrovsky the wrong way and puts Aberdeen deservedly I think it's fair to say, um, 2-1 in front. And as the game developed, you know, apart from a shot from distance that Joe Lewis deals with with relative ease, um, I wasn't admittedly that confident at the time, but he does get across and, and palms it down and, and recovers. But, you know, I thought we were we were largely in control of the game as it, as it wound down and we made changes. And for once I felt the changes off the bench proved beneficial and actually had an influence on the game as a whole. Dylan McGeek replacing Calvin Ramsey, which saw Ross McCrory move to right back and Marley Watkins coming on for Conor McLennan. Mm. And what a performance from both. Composure in the midfield from McGeek and Watkins showing really what we have missed since he's been out injured. That pace, which... I always find weird to associate Marley Watkins with pace, but also the strength. And and Callum, I think the importance and, you know, what those two brought is pretty much summed up in the third goal. Oh yeah, 100%, absolutely. Um, I, I think even before we, we got to that, I think it was smart from Jim Goodwin um, to try and get Ramsey some some rest uh, with those legs, obviously with international fixtures as well, coming up before two important games for us. Um, McCrory going to right back. McGeoch, we we said this um, the, the other day. Last episode. Yeah, we were. He he's got a big it's big wage, and it's a bit of a contentious one whether to keep him around. But when he comes on in games like that, in situations like that, it's absolutely perfect, and his effect is just unmatched. And we saw that. Mm. And I suppose that's kind of the question on Dylan McGeoch is. Is he worth another year at the club? You know, all there's you know transfer talk that Cagliari have lodged a three and a half million pound bid or are planning to launch a three and a half pound uh, million pound bid for Lewis Ferguson in the summer, um, or that's at least what Lewis Ferguson's agent will have you believe um, to alert maybe clubs down south. But if you know he was to to leave the club. We'd be left with Ross McCrory and Connor Barron 
Dante Pulvara as our three centre midfielders. Because um, I know last night when I mentioned that to our special guest for an episode coming up in the postseason, you were very quick to remind me of Dante. Mm-hmm. Is having someone like Dil McGeek important for us? Or given his wage and injury problems, do you see Jim Goodwin looking at somebody else as a, as a replacement in there? I don't know. I think he, he could do that. And I wouldn't blame him at all. Um, for going wanting to use that wage elsewhere for somebody who feels he can get more out of. Um, and I'm sure whoever Jim Goodwin brings in will be at a very minimum um, very willing to apply themselves, shall we say. And not to say... Take note, Who? Take note, Jeff. Well, yes, exactly, which I suppose we've also got to talk about. Um, I, I don't know. I... I just and I can totally understand why he would do that, given how little we've seen Dil McGeoch being used. I think it entirely depends whether Ferguson stays, because if Ferguson does stay, then you can't afford to have someone like Dil McGeoch there. I don't think he will stay. It's a lot of if buts and maybes, uh, and ultimately I don't have the answer, Glenn. But there we go. And before I even go even further past that, I, I didn't even mention the rest of that I loved about that goal. Um, I mean, well. there is so much to love Everything. about that goal there's so much to take in about the goal but but please take it away for everybody eager to hear your thoughts well first of all it was just some lovely football and there was some nice football in tight spaces on that right hand side Hibs fans brewing Dylan McGeoch he then proceeds to body a Hibs player that is fantastic knocks him to the ground not a foul no problem Louis Stevenson Louis Stevenson who's Louis Stevenson I've got no idea then tries to do the same and well, it just totally fails because he's too old and frail to Marley Watkins, who just skips by him with absolute ease. He picks out an excellent ball to Vicente Basselwin. You've got Ferguson complaining because he wants the ball cut back to him instead uh, for his hat-trick and then immediately apologising after the goal. Credit to Lewis Ferguson for his second penalty, by the way. Coolest man in there. Well done. And then Vicente Basselwin, T-shirt ripped. Um, well, his undershirt, his underarmour ripped. Fires it past Dabrowski, almost taking off Christian Ramirez's head in the meantime, and then (laughs) gets to celebrate in front of his family, who are over visiting. So much to love. I mean, the the finish is so aesthetically pleasing. Um, And since Ian Watson is determined for me to praise Vicente, I think that was probably his best performance. I remember when we spoke to Jim van der Dijl about Vicente coming over to Aberdeen, him and I think a few other Aldo Den Haag fans shared the same thought that maybe he was moving to Scotland a bit too early. They weren't sure if he would, you know, be able to cope in Scotland. You know, you know, criticism, if you want to call it that, for me is maybe that he hasn't, you know, been able to influence games as much as he was maybe hyped up to do. But I think now that he's adapting to the pace and the physicality of Scottish football, we're beginning to see what Vicente is going to offer. Um, to this side you know we saw his aggression in the first half pretty much squaring up to the main stand linesman when he didn't get the throw and I, I genuinely feared that the linesman was going to get the ball chucked off his head for not uh, awarding the decision but the, the quality and composure behind that finish when Ramirez is standing yards in front of him as you said lucky not to decapitate Christian at the time and, and just high up into the roof of the net giving the keeper no chance and Funnily enough, just before we recorded, I actually saw your tweet about Ferguson screaming for the ball and I hadn't even picked that up in the countless times that I've watched it. So that's given me an excellent excuse to go back and watch that that goal back again just to see that. Oh yeah, I've watched it about 15 times. Uh, well, yesterday alone, I just kept doing it. Um, there's just you feel like I pick up something new every time I watch it. And then, you know, Ramirez, once he's ducked, he just celebrates immediately. Like he doesn't care that he's always just taken, got his head taken off him. Uh, fantastic but on Vicente Basawin, um I think he's still raw there's still more to be added to his game in terms of end products but he's exciting and um, he is definitely a little muscle boy Jim was right um, and, and he just I think if he, if he has the type of thing that if he stays around long enough he definitely has the makings of a cult hero who will just be remembered and he'll last long in the memory just for exciting us in what has been an otherwise little bit of a dull time but Things are on the up, and hopefully that can carry on uh, with Vicente as well. And if anyone's doing red-tinted glasses bingo, that's another one off the card, Callum saying Little Muscle Boy on an episode. But, you know, Callum, that goal 
was aesthetically pleasing, not just from the finish, but from the build-up. Some of that that style of play, the the, the whole what well, well, felt like a whole team goal, uh, the movement, you know, brushing players aside. Well, Lewis Stevenson, as you said, you know, failing to brush Marley Watkins aside, and the quality of the delivery and and finish. You know, maybe some of the play we saw signs of under under Stephen Glass, but never kind of fully developed. It, that goal to me just brought all that kind of feel-good factor and everything that I've kind of been missing in in Aberdeen performances back it and got me excited about the games to come. Yeah, 100%. And it's a feeling I've not had for um, for quite a while at all. And also, on top of that, just eased any nerves that I had towards that like, we were going to just throw it all away and it just allowed us to enjoy ourselves. At one point, Beside the fence, we were just saying there's only one Sean Maloney for some reason, just because they cocked it up. I have no idea why or where it came from, but I thoroughly enjoyed it regardless. <laughs> and um, Hibs fans were very, very angry as well, which was great. They were keen to remind us we were tenth, forgetting that mm-hmm. they're only two points ahead of us. We have two games that I would like to think we could pick up maximum points from, and um, mm-hmm. they have Hearts to play uh, as well between now and then. They could easily, we they could be very quick to change. Um, so I won't get too ahead of yourselves Hibs fans I know Michael wasn't very happy which um, in turn made me pretty happy uh, I don't think he spoke for the whole of the second half um, I'm sure a regular viewer Paul Cockwell who was very quick yeah. to comment on our last episode um, I'm, I'll be looking out to see if he's commenting uh, on this episode as well I'm sure he'll be very quiet oh yes and it was straight at the fence there was just I think straight after that third goal um, there was just sort of angry middle-aged men just yelling and getting all their frustrations out and it was just oh it was beautiful it was beautiful yeah and you know as you said you know only two points behind Hibs you know again the, it made a change from a Saturday where pretty much apart from Dungeon United's last minute winner all the results went in our favour and we actually took advantage of it and you know just four points separate fourth and tenth so it is going to be that exciting run-in with, I'm sure, loads of twists and turns to come over the next two games between now and the the split. But I'm certainly not going to be counting my chickens just yet. But, Callum, I suppose, you know, as as positive as it's been to speak about a win, a lovely goal, you know, getting back on track or, you know, showing signs of getting back on track, there are maybe a a few grumbles, one being around Christian Ramirez and his performance. I was listening to the Terrace podcast um, this this morning at, at work and one of their guests said Christian Ramirez only touched the ball nine times um, during the game. He played 87 minutes. Um, but Hibs fans, to make you feel even better, Melkerson, who suddenly decided to hit the gold trail, um, against Motherwell went very cold, only touching the ball seven times uh, in his performance. How important to Christian Ramirez is the return of Marley Watkins? And how important to Christian Ramirez is it that he finds the goal trail soon? Massively. Um, I think... On both counts, isn't it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I think in terms of those statistics... Those two statistics about Melkerson and Ramirez are probably both very, very t- telling of the game itself rather than mm. maybe the individuals. Um, yeah, fair. In terms of sort of lack of quality service all around, probably. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Marley Watkins provides something that right now nobody else really can uh, in terms of he is he's very good in getting up there in support of them and um, physically very, very good. will do a lot of the dirty work as well at the same time. Um, and also just a great footballer. You saw the type of ball that he put in for uh, Vicente Bissouin for Aberdeen's third. He could have cut it back for Ferguson. He could have played it in for Ramirez and and then also you know played it across for Bissau. And that's the type of thing he can do. Um, it's massively important that he stays fit, can get back involved. Another two weeks of the training pitch after getting some minutes as well, I'm sure will help build things up for him. And ideally, Ramirez can get back on on the on track in terms of scoring, starting at Dundee. To be fair, yeah. um, just as as soon as possible, if he can grab a goal or two now before the split, you don't know the difference that confidence could make if we do end up in that top uh, top half pushing towards Europe. 
Yeah, and I suppose where transfer talk continues, where on Saturday night into Sunday, one of these, I want to call them in the no accounts, uh, an MLS based in the no account, um, tweeted out that there is possible interest from, or certainly a need for a striker of a Christian Ramirez mould over from teams in the MLS, but also potential for teams in the English Championship to be scouting um, Christian Ramirez. And I thought, this is just a bit of talk, don't ruin my mood on Sunday. You know, we've finally won a game since Boxing Day, I'm I'm all happy. And the thought of probably losing one of our only bright sparks of this season is very depressing. But the fact that Scott Burns, probably the only journalist on Twitter that I actually trust with reliable information, then also followed up the tweet with the, um, you know, that eyes looking one way emoji. I thought, I wonder if this story's got a bit of context to it. And there is a bit of, there is something in it that there are clubs, you know, across the pond and south of the border, keeping an eye on Christian. And and if there was to be interest, do you, especially from back home in America, do you think he would be, tempted to move or do you think he would see out his second year at Aberdeen? Well, I certainly hope it's the latter. Um, For him, he does have a young family to look after. I suppose the type of money certainly the English Championship could offer would probably be hard to turn down. On the other hand, the fact his family seemed to be enjoying life here um, could play it. People seem to be enjoying following his life here. (laughs) Um, Could play into things and he doesn't strike me as a quitter, dude. Um, he, he strikes me as the type of person who would sort of stick around playing things. I suppose the potential qualification for Europe could play a massive part in this, and probably yeah, that could, very true. I don't think that could be understated enough, because um, he probably came over with that as part of the attraction. Uh, you know, playing these teams on the continent, um, and and obviously another attraction was probably Stephen Glass. Who, who's mm. gone but I think Jim Goodwin seems to be very fond of him as well who'd be keen to keep him around and I hope that something that will be the case and um, if we lose him that could be a massive concern being left with well Jet under contract and then Michael Ruth which <laughs> yeah. is a concern uh, and you know by all all accounts Jet is a dead man walking in terms of his Aberdeen future um, if, if the comments from Jim Goodwin and the fact that he's you know, training on his own are, are, are to be believed. Uh, but that's actually a really interesting point you make, Calvin. Something that I hadn't kind of considered is the importance of European football, not only just to the club in terms of finan- uh, financial impact, but when, you know, the last episode, we speak about the fact that hearts are likely to, you know, they're one win away of guaranteeing three million pounds worth of income and group stage European football, we need to have something that can match on the transfer market to appeal to new players, but also something that can appeal to current players. And even that point you make about European football could also impact the decision that maybe is kind of in the in between on will we, won't we give Dylan McGeeh another year? Because without that European income, you know, are you really going to be wanting to pay that high wage for the Premier Sports Cup group stages? Probably not. Um, absolutely not, probably. I don't think um, four for away uh, quite has the same uh, financial benefits as, uh, well, I suppose potential group stages. I, uh, I'm not, not going to get my head self, my head of myself once again yet, considering <laughs> we're not even uh, close to qualifying. But I do want to pose a question to you, Glenn. Mm, go for it. Yes or no, do you think we will qualify for Europe this season after that win? How do you feel? Um, Right now, I'm going to say no, because I really, I'm still, I just got nerves around that Dundee game, given our um, away form so far this season. And you know, one win doesn't change everything. You know, obviously it's it's made us feel good, but we've shown up, you know, on one occasion, but then not followed up consistently apart from that three-game run really um, kind of in October with that, you know, the Hearts, Hibs and Rangers game. And 
you know, I heard Sport Sound speaking about it and View from the Terrace speaking about it in their latest episode. They could come down to that Ross County Aberdeen game, the last game before the split, just to even get into the top six. And we've questioned the team's fight and passion. And, you know, I think it was quite clear that heads were very much lacking in that department. So it, I'm just still... My jury's still kind of out on this squad in a game that's going to matter most. I think for me, I'm just glad that that game's actually going to be at the tawdry. But, mm. you know, knowing our luck, if we did make the top six, we'll be the team that finishes sixth and be the only team to miss out on European football. Quite possibly, yeah. I, For me, I am quite confident of it. I think that game has maybe set a precedent now that we've... You know, that's the benchmark. We need to match that. Maybe the quality wasn't there, but in terms of effort, in terms of winning our battles, um, yeah. sort of thing. And then you look at this, these games, you've got Dundee, bottom of the league, Mark McGee's in charge. There's no way we should be losing that. Let's make that abundantly clear. Someone's <laughs> definitely clipping that up now. Probably. <laughs> and Ross County as well. The fact it's at home should be a it's certainly a winnable game anyway and you'd like to think we could go and take maximum points and if we win both of those given how much everyone has to play each other um, in the in the two games it should be enough for us to get top six and Jim Goodwin said get top six he's confident we'll go and finish in the European spot yeah I like how you said Ross County should be a winnable game when we've not actually beaten them yet this season but what well, should be there we go should should be but I also want to pose a question to you um around Christian Ramirez, do you understand why there is criticism from some Aberdeen fans around Christian Ramirez? You know, some people calling him lazy, saying his touch isn't that great. And a few calls of saying, I don't know what he offers to this team, but um, without his goals, I hate to see or think where we would have been. So, but mm. but do you understand why there is some, some criticism aimed towards Ramirez? Um, I can understand if you if you look at things on the face of it you know sometimes he goes through these spells where he doesn't score uh, so many goals or for example touches you, you maybe would look at that and go nine touches not been involved at all but in terms of you look at the service he's had some of the quality of players he's had when like Watkins has been out and um, Head has been out and then he's all of a sudden got McLennan and Kennedy coming in who've not been involved at all basically from the whole season it, it would be very very tough um, so I suppose I can understand it to a certain degree I don't think it's really warranted um, I think we've put it in, in you know, simple terms if we'd taken him out and had J. Manuel Thomas in the side for the whole season we would be oh in a lot worse of a place right now um, mm. I think it's basically as simple as that his goals have been vital and if we actually had you know service for him throughout the whole season we hadn't been as utter crap as we had been he would be you know well into the 20s by now I think also had Marley Watkins managed to stay fit for the last three months I would have loved to seen maybe what we could have done um, whether that was under Stephen Glass or Jim Goodwin who knows what would have happened um, there but yeah it's just one of those kind of what ifs and I guess when a striker goes off the boil. It's same when Calvin Ramsey's gone off the boil. You know, after the way he started, people start finding things to, to criticise. It, it, it's only natural. But um, if people are going to criticise and we're going to still win games, then maybe it'll be water off a duck's back. Yes, it will. Couldn't unmute myself there for a second. I apologise. Um, yeah, put it this way. He goes and grabs the winner against Dundee. Nobody will give a toss about <laughs> anything uh, anymore and that's that's sort of the way uh, football fans work and I include myself in that um, so th- there we are I suppose um, I, ideally for him I suppose that is the best way um, to, to end these criticisms but that's obviously easier said than done Yeah and I look forward to that Marley Watkins and Christian Mirez linking up at, at Dens Park in a few weeks time which we have, will of course be previewing um, next week uh, so there's been so much to get into this episode uh, we didn't want to bog everything down uh, on top of that and at least it means we'll try and keep the Dundee preview as up to date 
as as can be because as we know all too well Callum a lot of things can happen in a week uh, once you record an episode oh yeah we basically mentioned everything that you know had, had was going to happen that we need or that had happened that we need to talk about uh, in this episode as well as the football and then I look on Facebook and it's Lewis Ferguson and I was like right okay that's another thing Jesus so um, we'll probably there's no point doing the Dundee thing now because over the weekend there'll be some news or you know maybe some about their involvement in terms of the Scotland setups and things like that um, so we'll, we'll leave it until then and um, then we can you know talk about how funny it'll be seeing Mark McGee again yeah, I'm sure he'll be in for a very warm reception from the very boisterous travelling support. But obviously we will take some confidence and the players, Jim Goodwin alike, will also take confidence going into the international break. As I said, we will also have an episode out on Friday with former defender Lee Mayer um, coming to you later on the week. So if you are watching for the first time or tuning in and haven't done so, um, wherever you're uh watching listening to this episode hit that subscribe button get the notifications on because Callum it is probably one of the most fascinating interviews that we've done I never thought I would hear a player discussing death threats with us no not at all um, it, it, yeah I was a little bit taken aback uh, I'll admit it was very very interesting talking to Lee um, lovely man as well has to be said so look forward to seeing uh, people's reactions to it see it was obviously we did hear a little bit from him um, prior you know with the the St Mirren preview uh, at the time so you know, I think it'll be good I hope people enjoy it as much as we enjoy talking to Lee yeah uh, maybe slightly outdated given that we were also speaking about Stephen Glass at the time but that's the joys of holding these interviews back uh, and, until release but something that will be well, has been released again since last recording, Callum, is season ticket information because the club have announced that up until the 15th of April, season ticket prices will remain frozen. Um, I believe you have got the information that you can let the viewers and listeners know if they don't already know about the season ticket prices up, Audrey. Yes, they are indeed frozen. Uh, for the price freezes, you can get a platinum ticket, platinum season ticket, uh, which is in the... Um, you know, fancy posh bits of the ground <laughs> uh, for, you know, £430 the price has been frozen until the 15th of April gold which would, you know, feature uh, most of the main stand uh, also, you know, the south stand £385 um, with the price freeze, 360 for silver areas of the ground and the red shed for just £330 that is only with the price freezes though there's and also that is board, the adult prices, yeah, isn't it? Adult ones, sorry. Um, and not including Aber DNA. There's still the early bird pricing and the standard pricing. There's a lot of information there. Um, not quite sure what to deal with it all, but I have a gripe, Glenn. And, and yes. as per usual. Go on then. Okay. Student prices. There wasn't any last season, but why have they not done any student prices? There's youth from 18 to 21. Makes sense. Which the, the club feel in captures students. But as we discussed pre-recording, you have mature students mm -hmm. and students of all, all ages. And, you know, with Aberdeen Uni and RGU, it's almost you're excluding opportunity for to attract students that maybe coming to the city for a couple of years and bringing them into, into the crowd as well. It's a real opportunity missed. And to be honest, my my biggest gripe was actually the, the freeze only being done until the, the 15th of April, which is the week after we play Ross County. So um, obviously my thoughts were before the game against Hibs was that depending how the thing goes, we might not even know what league we are going to be in. And it is... And do people think that, you know, if, for example, taking my season ticket into account um, in, the, in the Red Shed, £330 if I renew by the 15th of April, is that value for money if you, you know, to have your season ticket? Because that's only covering league football. That is guaranteeing your seat for the cup games, but not obviously paying for them, similarly to Europe. But... You know, if you miss out on, you know, European football and that, you're for an adult in the red shed, it's four hundred and thirty-four pounds. It's it's quite a steep increase 
um, in price. And again, you know, you know that that kind of talking point that you're looking at, the 18 to 21, um, is 180 pound up until the 15th, and then 263 thereafter. I know, obviously, the club do the four six, and they are doing the 10 month um, payment plan to, to you know spread the cost. But at a time when I know people say, well, that's why they've frozen it. But at a time when, you know, costs, living costs are, are going up. And I suppose this is maybe where you're coming from, the fact that there's no students. For someone, say, 22, um, you know, 22, 23, that's not a student, can they afford that £150 increase if they've turned 22 during the course of the season? Mm-hmm. Well, it's... Yeah, it's a lot of money at a time when money is tight for a lot of people. Exactly. I mean, you mentioned the living costs there. Certainly, um, in terms of the fact, I'm not, I'm not even a student myself, so it's not just like out of like, oh, I want to save money for me. It's yeah. For example, in Scotland, usually you go to university four years, start when you're 18. Mm-hmm. By the time you're done, 22. 22 not included in that 18 to 21 price. What's the most important year of university? Fourth year. So the likelihood you're going to be doing loads of hours in part-time work, very unlikely. In terms of mature students, they might even have families, um, you know, a a young child or, you know, whatever to provide for. And you're asking them to pay, you know, the the full prices. And I think it's, it's silly. I do commend them, you know, for the price freeze. Maybe that could last a little bit longer and things as well. That was going to be my. That was going to be my gripe. Was could they? Because also the fact that the price freeze. You know, we we again we spoke about this before recording. I may be in the fortunate position that the fifteenth of April for me is payday, yeah. but for a lot of people, the fifteenth of April is mid month. And a time where they're probably, you know, wanting to try and save until the end of the month. So I just find it strange that they haven't kind of kept that price freeze until the end of April, at least. And by the end of April, we'd have probably played two games, I think maybe even three in the split, whatever side of the split we're on. So people would have begun to to get an idea of, you know, what the season, what Jim Goodwood's team is beginning to feel like ahead of the ahead of the summer, and you could have maybe captured a bit more of the the feel good spirit if that is the way that the, the performances go and get crowds in. But we only got two games between now and the fifteenth. Yeah. It, it, it's you know maybe fortunate that we won at the weekend because if we were speaking about another loss, I'm sure you know, season tickets aren't exactly going to be well. You know, again, the person we were speaking to last night, player of the year, dinner sales, how well are they going? Exactly. And I mean, it is asking a lot for the you know, the price freeze and things. Obviously, there's still the early bird, um, but, but for it's not carrying... When's the, does it say on there when the early bird goes up to? Um, I will double check. Bear with me. Um, key dates, early bird ends 10th of June. So that's... Oh, well. that's and what's the... And what's the difference between the paying between the 15th of April and the, the 10th of June? So for me, it, it's, there's a £20 difference. Uh, for just In the South Stand. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that, you know, for the Platinum, there's £18 difference, which I don't know if that makes much sense because there's less of a difference for that for the better seats. But regardless, um, adult £18 there as well um, for the silver ones. And for Red Shed, it's a £16 difference too. And then obviously there's even further increases when it just comes to standard time. Yeah, after the after the 10th of June. Yeah, so it's just it's just chaotic, but I love complaining about things. Glad we found that to complain about after um, we won a game. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be an episode if we couldn't get some form of complaint in. But yeah, lots to digest, including agent talk, a win, and season tickets. And of course players and the importance of this one. I think, Calm, you know, it's fair to say that we've seen the importance of Marley Watkins' return just in the, the cameo that he had. Lots to be excited about in terms of our midfield going forward. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing that for the time we've probably got left in terms of McCrory, Barron and Ferguson. It's just a shame we maybe didn't get to see that earlier in the season. And maybe also some more minutes for... Michael Ruth and, and Dante Povara as they got at the weekend as well. So things beginning to blossom for, for Jim Goodwin, but 
not yet at the point, maybe unlike yourself, of getting carried away by things. Okay, well, I think that's been a theme this season where I've just got carried away regardless of what's going on uh, and just uh, just sort of running into everything absolutely blind. That's uh, That's been my motto. That's the contrast in, in football fans. It's the contrast in opinions, and that's what people love about this show or hate about it, whatever way you want to want to see uh, as we get from the feedback. But of course, if you have enjoyed the show, leave a like, um, leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, and hit the comment box down below as well if you're watching on YouTube. But your thoughts on Christian Ramirez, Connor Barron, Season ticket prices, do you agree? Are they too high? Should they be frozen for longer? Do you care at all? Did you just enjoy the fact that me and Callum finally found something to rant about an hour into the show? Um, But once again, as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Um, We will be back on Friday with the Lee Mayer interview and then again next week previewing in full the trip to Dens Park probably about half hour 45 minute preview into that and of course remember to check out our Twitter page at RTG underscore podcast over the weekend as our player of the year vote is released thanks very much for sticking through all the tangents we went on <laughs>